Welcome to the Karis Christian Center podcast. Um, go ahead and turn your Bible to one of my favorite scriptures, John 10, 10. And I just want to preach this to a lot of people out there who uh, start blaming God for things he didn't do. Um, the, the message I have for you today, it's, it's a message called, Look What the Lord Has Done. And uh, I want to start off by saying that you need to remember that God only does good things. Period. And about 90% of the body of Christ misses that for some reason. But they, like John 10, 10, you need to to get this through your head and, um, you know, establish your doctrine upon what the Bible says. You know, some people don't let the Bible get in the way of what they think or what they believe or what they preach. We should preach the word, amen? John 10, 10, remember that God only has good things to give. A lot of things get attributed to God, get blamed on God that he has nothing to do with. John 10, verse 10 says, the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. Who kills, who steals, and who destroys? The thief does, the enemy, the devil, Satan. And Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Jesus only gives life and he only gives it more abundantly. Whenever Jesus did something, whenever he demonstrated grace, which is God's power, his unmerited favor towards people, it was never in a short amount. It was never like, oh, I wish I could just get a little. It was always in abundance. Whenever Jesus healed someone, it was, it was full. Whenever he, he um, provided for someone, it was always full. There was always leftover. There was always abundance. When he saves people, the Bible says that he saves us to the uttermost. If anyone here is worried about their salvation, if you believe on Jesus, if you've asked him to save you, he saves you to the uttermost. Amen. He always gives things abundantly, life and grace, his power. It's always given in abundance. So today, I want to tell you to take time to look at the good things God has done in your life. Remember that God only has good things to do in your life. If there's something good in your life, you need to thank him for it. If there's something perfect in your life, thank God for it. Let's go to James 1.13. I love love, um, the, the... the book of James, and I love just what he shares here early on in this message. I think it's a message that he preached. Um, James was um, the the first pastor of the church in Jerusalem, and he was really trying to get people to understand that God is only good. I wish people today would still um, preach this and understand this. Um, James 1.13, he says, let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. And the, the Greek word there used for tempted, it means to have evil put on you, a trial of uh, um, these sorts of things. God, God doesn't put evil on people. He doesn't try people. He doesn't put sickness on people, disease on people. Uh, he doesn't cause people to die. Um, it says, when, when, let no one say, when this happens, let, let, let him say that God does this. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. So he's telling people a lot of people are deceived. A lot of people don't really understand that God is only good, completely good. And I love what he says here in verse 17. Every good gift, say every good gift. And, And say every perfect gift is from above, 
and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. This is saying that God is always completely good. There, he is only completely light. There is no shadow within him. I believe when we go to heaven someday, it's going to be so bright. It's just going to be shocking. There will not be a single shadow, not a dark alley anywhere in heaven. The entire city just radiates with his goodness, with his perfection, with his love, with his light. And it's just going to bring us to tears. Just how, how, when we see God face to face, when we look at Jesus face to face, just how bright, how shining, how loving, how perfect, how good he is. We need to take time to thank God for the good things he's done. Remember that he only has good things to do. You know, I have two kids. I have a 10-year-old son, three-year-old daughter. Every night I like to pray with them at night before I put them in bed. And um, um, we always thank God for the good things he's done in our life. You know, even my three-year-old daughter knows how to thank God. We thank God for, for Mama. She thanks God for Dada, for her brother Fisher, for her, her dogs, Winston and Willie. She thanks God for ice cream, for cupcakes, for... She, she, she thinks of good things, and she knows if it's a good thing, it's from God. And she knows if it's not good, if, if it's, then it's not God. If she, if she you know, trips and falls down, she, she says, pain, pain, go away, Jesus' name. She knows that it's not from God, that pain, that hurt, that tears, that so it's not from God, but she has authority in the name of Jesus. I love, I love what Jesus said in Mark 16, right before he ascended to heaven. I love that he's coming again. Someone told me, I'm, I'm believing to, to stay alive till Jesus comes again. I thought, how awesome is that? Mark 16, verse 15 through 17. And he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe. This scripture is still intact today. These signs will follow those who believe. Man, what, what an awesome thing to, for Jesus to say. You know, uh, re recently I was preaching on um, this past Wednesday night on, on like what to look for in a good church. And, and I see people post online on different, you know, like new people moving to Car Springs looking for different things in a church and, and they're, they're looking for the wrong things oftentimes. They're, they're, when the questions that they ask, they aren't really looking for a church. They're looking for like a club or some, you know, musical entertainment or, um, but, but they aren't looking for, for what, the, what Jesus says we should be looking for. These signs shall follow those who believe. You should be looking for a church that preaches the Bible, that believes the Bible, that is the infallible, indestructible, ever-living seed of the Word of God. That, that's number one. Number two, you should look for a church that, it, that believes in the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. That is how the church started on the day of Pentecost, and that's how it continues even today. Number three, you should look for a church that's full of people of faith. Because at some point in your life, you're going to need people to pray the prayer of faith over you. For, for the elders to come lay hands on you, pray for you, and, and, and that prayer of faith will save the sick. That prayer of faith will change your situation. Number four, you need to look for a church that has a revelation of grace, that understands God, uh, God's grace towards us, but also demonstrates that grace towards other people. At some point in your life, you're going to need grace. Everyone will need grace. Amen? These signs will follow those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. And I, I love that. And there, there are some demons out there. 
We don't need to focus on them because we have power over them, but you should be able to cast them out if you run across them and not be scared of them. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents, and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. Man, that, that is what we need to look for in a church. Remember that God only has good things to give. And also remember that there is a devil out there. And if he has taken something from you, you have the right to go and take it back. My second point is this, is that some of you need to go to the enemy's camp and take back what he stole from you. And you need to put up a fight. You need to do something. You shouldn't just keep going along with it and certainly not just blame God for it. If it's stealing, killing, destroying, it is not from God. It's not from Jesus. It's from the devil. And you can do something about it. You can go to the enemy's camp and take back what he stole from you. And you need to put up a fight. The enemy, Heather and I were... We were talking about this a few weeks ago, but the the devil is just such a complete scumbag. He, he, He actually will not stop until he completely obliterates and destroys somebody's life. It's not just like like partially killing, partially destroying, partially. Man, he he just will keep going and going and going. But we can do something about it. He is a defeated foe. Man, uh, Christ took captivity captive. He triumphed. He went straight to hell and just spit in the devil's face and said, not today, Satan. Not tomorrow. Not forever again. I'm taking these keys. I'm giving them to my church. The gates of hell will not prevail. I'm giving people authority to use my name, to cast out demons, to heal the sick, to... Man, I want a church that's full of the power of God. And God, he is not the author of calamity. During great difficulty, during great trials, realize that God is not the author of these things. Do not blame God. I think there's going to be so many tears in heaven because when people look at God and see him for how good he is, completely good, they're just going to cry for all the things that they blamed God for, all the things that their, their church blamed God for. And he'll just, just wipe away those tears. Let's go to 2 Kings 6. I want to talk about going to the enemy's camp. And some of you will be surprised when you put up a fight just how easily the, the enemy will flee and what kind of spoils there'll be there. 2 Kings 6, 24. So it says here, And it happened after this that Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, gathered all his army and went up and besieged Samaria. So Samaria was the capital of Israel at the time. Verse 25 says, There was such a great famine in Samaria, and indeed they besieged it until a donkey's head sold for 80 shekels of silver and one-fourth of a cab of dove droppings for five shekels of silver. So, so things were so intense. The, the, the pressures were so intense. The famine was so great that, that they were selling pigeon poo for a high price. That's what the enemy, the enemy will keep obliterating people until they, they, they start, they just reach this point of desperation where even things that, that's just complete poo seems valuable to them. 
And, and the king of Israel was not a good king at the time. Um, he, he blamed God. He also blamed Elisha, the one person who could have helped him. Sometimes people do that. They get so twisted during times of difficulty, they start blaming God. They start blaming people close to them that care for them, that can actually help them. They'll, they'll put the blame on the wrong places because the enemy is a deceiver. He warps people's mind. And this king of Israel, his mind was completely warped and deceived. Verse 31 Instead, he said, God do so to me and more also if the head of Elisha, the son of Shaphat, remains on him today. But Elisha was sitting in his house. We don't need to be afraid when ungodly leaders try to throw schmuck at the church, try to throw schmuck at, 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 at the, the truth. Amen? Elisha was sitting in the house and the elders were sitting with him and the king sent a man ahead of him, but before the messenger came to him, he said to the elders, do you see how this son of a murderer has sent someone to take away my head? Look, when the messenger, you know, Elisha did not back down. He was not afraid of this ungodly king. Look, when the messenger, messenger comes, just shut the door, hold him fast at the door. Is not the sound of his master's feet behind him. While he was still talking with them, there was the messenger coming down to him. And then the king said, surely this calamity is from the Lord. He starts blaming God. And then he says, why should I wait for the Lord any longer? I'm not going to trust in God. I'm not going to pray to God. I'm not, I have nothing to do with, with God. I love uh, the word of the Lord comes to Elisha. Man, we need to, to, to hear the word of the Lord. I mean, our hearts need to be open to, to, to hear from the word of the Lord. What is God saying right now in this moment, in this exact time? What is he saying about this situation? The word of the Lord came to Elisha. He said, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, tomorrow about this time, a sea of fine flour shall be sold for a shekel and two seahs of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. Man, what an awesome word to everyone that probably sounded crazy. A complete shift in the economy, a complete shift in, in this desperate situation. God can change things around completely in 24 hours. Some of you might, you might be hearing the enemy saying, why hope? Why put trust in God? Why believe this anymore? God can turn things around in 24 hours. Be listening to what the Spirit of the Lord is saying. And the Spirit of the Lord is speaking right now. An officer on whose hand the king leaned, verse 2, answered the man of God and said, Look, if the Lord would make windows in heaven, could this thing be? And he said, Elisha said, In fact, you shall see it with your eyes, but you shall not eat of it. I want to talk about verse 3. Um, man, we always need to be listening to what the word of the Lord is speaking I like to, as I read through scripture, just, just, just pray in tongues before I read and just ask God to speak to me. And he often does. And God spoke to me, and I wrote this in my Bible several years ago, and it still speaks to me even today. I spoke to a man after first service. He, he um, um, just recently lost his wife, but he said he was going through his wife's journal, and, and she wrote something down that Pastor Lawson said six years ago. And he said, it's a word of the Lord for me, and it's changing my life even right now. That, 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 that I need to share about the testimony, about the, the good things that God has done and is doing and will do in my life. And it's just so powerful. He, he, 
Man, it, it was real to him. God had spoken to him from something that his wife wrote down in her journal six years ago. God spoke this to me, and he said, you need to have nothing to lose kind of faith. Nothing to lose kind of faith. Man, and this is a powerful type of faith. And God has reminded me of this many times. Man, some of us need to take, take a step of faith. God has spoken to us. He's given us a word. We know we need to step out, preach, be bold for him, but, but we might feel like we have something to lose. If I get bold, if I take a stand for Jesus, what are other people going to think? What, what are my coworkers going to think? What's my neighbor going to think? What's my teacher going to think if I, if I stand up for the truth? You don't, you don't have that much to lose. Those people that you're worried about, they, they are, they're not really much to lose. I was talking to a, a young adult here at Church Helps on the music team. She, she's going to UCCS, and she just had, had class, and um, this professor is just ultra woke and has nothing to do with the, the class she's taking or her major, but the professor, day one, we're going to go through and have everyone, you know, state what their preferred pronouns are. And she's asking me, like, what, what do I do? I can just tell this is, this is going to be... And she, she told me, she, she let me know like a day later. I told her, well, you can, you can just be like David when he was in the Philistine territory and just pretend you're crazy. And just, you know, my, my pronouns are Z, 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 Z. And, uh, or, or you can take a stand. You can just stand up for the truth. And, and, and um, she said, well, she, she said, well, if I have to, I think she was able to get out of the class, but she had an idea. She's like, next time, the teacher asked us, I'm going to say my preferred pronouns are, let's go, Brandon. That way, every time they call on me, this woke teacher has to say, let's go, Brandon. <laughs> Nothing to lose kind of faith. Who cares? Who cares? Well, I remember uh, this, this past summer at camp meeting. I, I love that this church has a camp meeting. That we want to camp out and hear the word and worship God and just be refreshed and, and, and filled with the Holy Ghost. And uh, uh, last year at camp meeting, Heather, I knew she wanted to give a big offering, so I had, I had a really big offering ready to go. And right before service, she said, we need to double that. So I, I ripped up that check and doubled it. And I'll just, I'll just, I'll just tell this, this service. I, I don't care if I offend a few people. I, I wrote out a check for 5000 initially. I thought, man... This is a big offering, and the head said, we need to double that, so I wrote it out for 10000 We had to service it, and Mark, Mark had a word, and it, it was a word because I know that Heather just told me to double, and, and he said, whatever you got, you need to double it. And I, I had ripped up too many checks, so I figured out, hey, I can just change that 10 into a 2, and, and I started sweating. <laughs> I'd already been sweating earlier that morning writing the first check, and then sweating writing the second check, and then sweating changing that 1 into a 2, and then... Um, and God just spoke to me, and he said, you've got nothing to lose. It's not really as much as you think it is. And just God just, just spoke that word again to me. You have nothing, to, you need to tap in that nothing to lose kind of faith. So here in verse 3, we see that there are four leprous men at the entrance of the gate. They're probably at the entrance because they were usually supposed to be outside of the city walls. Because of, of, the, of their disease, because of their situation, because of their, their just station in life. But they were just sitting right inside the entrance of the gate. And they just said to one another, why are we sitting here until we die? They, they, just, we, they just came to this point where we have nothing to lose. What's the worst that could happen to us? 
What's the worst that could happen to a believer? You could die and you could see Jesus face to face. Verse 4, if we say we will enter the city, so not even in the city, they're just at the outer gate. The famine is in the city and we shall die there. If we sit here, we shall die also. Now, therefore, come, let us surrender to the army of the Syrians. If they keep us alive, we shall only, we shall live. And if they kill us, we shall only die. So they just decide to take a step of faith. We're just going to go out here to, to, to see the Syrians, to just... And sometimes the step of faith is like, you don't even know what's going to happen. We're just going to do something. Too many people just are doing nothing. Just do something. Man, and that nothing to lose kind of faith, it is a powerful type of faith. God likes to, to, to use unusual people. I think these four lepers, it's, it's really profound because they're at the, the bottom rung of society. They, like, you know, people are, are eating dog poo in city or, or, you know, probably, well, if they had dog poo, that's probably even more expensive than pigeon poo. <laughs> and we're, we're just going to do something. God likes to use unusual people to do unusual things in unusual places. Man, God, God, God wants to do something unusual in your life. God, God is not, he doesn't fit inside your little box that you have for him. God wants to do some unusual thing. God, God actually wants to do things greater than you can possibly think or imagine. He's done that in my life. I believe he's going to do it in your life. But he likes to use unusual people with unusual skill sets, with unusual backgrounds to do unusual things. That way, when, he, when he, he shows up and shows off, you're going to say it's only by his grace. God gets all the glory, and he's still the same way today. So verse 5, it says, They arose at twilight to go to the camp of the Syrians, and when they had come to the outskirts of the Syrian camp, to their surprise, God is a God of surprise. And I remember years ago, I, I wrote, you know, I, I'd heard some preacher talk about you need to just list down everything you want in a future spouse. And I, I, I you know, wrote in my journal just one to 1,000 what I wanted in my wife, future wife someday. And then, and then uh, you know, not too long ago, Heather actually found one of my old journals and saw this. And she was laughing because she wasn't any of these things. <laughs> so it's because God is a God of surprises and he, and he also knows you better than you know yourself. And the things that you really think you need and think you want and think you deserve and thank you, God knows better because he created you and the creator know, always knows better. He knows the creation more than the creation knows itself. To their surprise, no one was there. Verse 6, it said, The Lord had caused the army of the Syrians to hear the noise of chariots and the noise of horses, the noise of a great army. So they said to one another, Look, the king of Israel has hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of the Egyptians to attack us. Therefore they arose and fled at twilight. They left the camp intact, their tents, their horses, their donkeys, and they fled for their lives. This is just so powerful. You just see God just caused them to hear noise, and fear came upon this great Syrian army. So four lepers who took a step of faith, just a nothing-to-lose kind of faith. Hey, we don't even know what we're doing, but we're going to do something. We're going to just step outside of our comfort zone. Well, what's going on isn't working out. We're just going to do something. 
That, that little mustard seed of faith. God was able to grow that and do something. A little bit of faith has the power to conquer a great army that, that, that is just dealing with fear. Don't succumb to fear. Faith is always greater than fear. And don't be afraid of the noise. There is so much noise coming from the enemy. The thief that comes to kill, to, dis- to, to destroy, he, he, he likes to stir up a bunch of noise and tries to get the church afraid. But don't succumb to the noise of the world. Don't succumb to the noise of the thief, of the enemy. Know what's yours. Know what belongs to you. Know what the truth is and don't be afraid. Don't succumb to the fear of the noise. And and, and as the day of Jesus, as the day of his return gets closer and closer, the world, that spirit of the world, that antichrist spirit, it's going to get noisier and noisier. Why? Because because that spirit, it it knows what's going to happen. It's talked about in Revelation. That beast, the Antichrist spirit, it's going to be thrown in the lake of fire. If you were to take a beast, a wild beast, and and have a big bonfire going on and grab that beast and start dragging it to that fire, what would it start doing? It would start fighting. It would start squealing. That noise that's out there, it's, it's a squeal. It's insane. Preferred pronoun. There's a lot of things in life that you can have a preference for. There's a few things that you can't prefer. What, 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 is, what is behind that noise? What is behind that squeal? That insane squeal? It's like the antichrist spirit, the anti-God spirit, the anti-creator spirit, because he created them, male and female. Let's go, Brandon. (laughs) Let's go to verse 8. 2 Kings 7, verse 8. It says, when those lepers came to the outskirts of the camp, they went into one tent, they ate, they drank. And some of you would be just surprised if you just put up a fight. Say, hey, I'm not, I'm not going to live in fear. I'm not going to live in torment. I'm not, I'm gonna, I know what Jesus did for me. I'm going to go to the enemy's camp and take back what he stole from me. I'm not going to live one more day depressed. I'm not going to live one more day defeated. I'm not going to live one more day just as a victim. They went to the, the camp, they, they went into one tent, ate and drank and carried from it silver and gold and clothing, went and hid them. Then they came back and entered another tent, carried some from there also, went and hid it. Then they said to one another, we are not doing right. This day is a day of good news. Say good news. Man, today is a day of good news. We shouldn't remain silent. If we wait until morning light, some punishment will come upon us. Now, therefore, come, let us go and tell the king's household. So they went and told, told everyone what had done. I believe that if you put up a fight, you go to the enemy's camp, you're going to have so much to take back. You're going to have such a great testimony. You're not going to be able to just remain silent. 
You're going to have some good news to share, and it's just going to be bubbling out of you. You're going to realize there is so much life. There is so much abundance. There is so much victory. i got to share it with somebody else. God took this test and turned it into a testimony. God is not the one to blame. He, he is our answer. He is not the author of difficulty. He is the author of victory. He is the answer. Let's skip down to verse 14. Man, the word of the Lord came to pass just as it was spoken. Verse 14, it says, They took two chariots with horses, and the king sent them in the direction of the Syrian army, saying, Go and see. They went after them to the Jordan, and indeed all the road was full of garments and weapons which the Syrians had thrown away in their haste. It looked like, looked like Afghanistan. Let's go, Brandon. Why would you leave your weapons behind? Just because you're, you're panicking and, and just ridiculous. If you're wondering who Pastor Aaron is going to vote for. <laughs> to those who have ears, let them hear. The weapons which the Syrians had thrown away in their haste, so the messenger returned and told the king, and then the people went out and plundered the tents of the Syrians. So a sea of fine flour was sold for a shekel, two seas of barley for a shekel, according to the word of the Lord. Verse 19, the officer had answered the man of God and said, now look at the Lord that kind of mocked the word of the Lord. If the Lord would make windows in heaven, could such a thing be? And he had said, in fact, you shall see it with your eyes, but you shall not eat of it. So it happened to him, for the people trampled him in the gate and he died. And the word of the Lord, it, it, things can change that quickly. Something that you've been believing God for, a promise that you've been laying hold of, you've been trusting God for, it can change in, in an instant. And God can do it in an unusual way, a way that's just going to rock your world. He can answer that prayer in just a way that you've never even thought possible because you're going to realize that it was God. It was only by his grace. Amen? It happened exactly as the word of the Lord had spoken. My last point is this, don't forget what God has done for you. Man, it is so easy to forget. Don't forget the good things that God has done for you. You actually need to systematically set up a way to remember what God has done. I'm going to give you four ways. You might come up with some of your own ways, but four ways to remember what God has done for you. You need to thank God every single day. Don't let a single day go by without thanking him. First way, appoint times to celebrate. Today can be that time you're going to celebrate the good things that God has done for you. You might just find someone here at church that, hey, hey say, you know what? Hey, I want to treat you to lunch because I, I have, God has done some good things in my life. I want to celebrate today. Will you come and celebrate with me? You name the place. You can go have a small group right after church. What, what, what is this? It's just a group of believers. You can, get, you can get together with believers however you want to. My people, I've, I've told people, hey, hey, get to know people by serving. Maybe just pray about who to connect with the church. Invite someone to lunch. It's not that complicated. The church doesn't have to set up play dates for people. <laughs> I love groups of believers. Just do it. I set up play dates for my, for my 10-year-old, for my 3-year-old. Anyways, (laughs) 
Well, they don't have a golf group, so I'm just going to go to church where there's a golf group because that's my number one priority. I like golfing. I'm sure someone else here likes golfing too. And if you're friendly, you'd probably figure out who likes to golf and be able to golf with them. The point times to celebrate. Number two, set up a heap of stones. Set up a heap of stones. What am I talking about? When Israel crossed the Jordan, when Joshua crossed the Jordan, God stopped the Jordan from flowing. They walked across on dry ground. And as they were crossing, God told Joshua for each tribe to take a stone out of the bank of the river and to set it up on the promised land side. Some of you have reached the promised land side, but you're not done yet. You need to remember what God has done, what he brought you through. We went through the fire, we went through the water, and we, we went to a wealthy place. Well, I don't like that word wealthy. I don't like that word abundance. I don't like that more than enough type of preaching. And Abraham knew God as El Shaddai, the God of more than enough. He is still El Shaddai. And El Shaddai still shall supply all the pie. I preached that message years ago, and I got pies for the entire church. He's still a God of more than enough. Set up the heap of stones. Set up, set up visual reminders. Have trophies of what God has done. Have plaques. Have pictures. Have. I got my trophy right here on the front row. My trophy wife. <laughs> Every time I look at her, I say, look at what God has done. Number three, tell stories to your kids, to your grandkids, to people at church. Tell stories of the good things that God has done. Now just, just the other night, we had a family movie night. We were watching a really good movie on Amazon Prime. It's called A Million Miles Away. It's, it's, it's based on a true story about this um, Mexican migrant worker. His family you know, picked um, fields in California, and he, they just went from town to town, field to field. He grew up like that, and he became an astronaut. Flew to outer space. And in the movie, you know, he lived in this little tin shack, tin single-wide trailer. And I say, hey, Fisher, your, your papa, Papa Lawson, grew up, just lived in that exact same house. And look at what God has done. I don't like that health and wealth. Meh. <laughs> <laughs> I like being poor and sick. I think we should go to doctors and pay them to make us sick because I like poor and sick. I think we should go to college and and try to get jobs that make us less money. (laughs) No one likes being poor. No one likes being sick because we aren't supposed to be. Poverty is part of the curse. Sickness is part of the curse. Jesus came to redeem us from the curse of the law, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles. Jesus died on the cross. He shed his blood for me not to be impoverished, for me not to be sick, for me not to be defeated. I value the blood of Jesus. I value the power of the gospel, the good news message. Look, 
There is stuff everywhere. Stop eating dog poo of religion. Stop eating dog poo of pigeons. Don't go to a church where it's just full of pigeon poo. Preaching a little today. Remember what God has done. Tell these stories. Number four, write thank yous. Man, write things down. Write thank yous to people who have impacted your life. Maybe it was recent. Maybe it was 20 years ago. Write it down. And sometimes when you send these thank yous to people that you know that God placed in your life, what they did for me, it was a good thing. I know God brought them in my life for that season to get me to where I am today. And write thank yous and send them to people. And you'd be surprised at just how, just by doing that, by being spirit-led, we were just sending out Christmas cards, pictures of our family, you know, to, to, to friends and family. And, and just as we were sending these out, I just asked God, I mean, you can be spirit-led with small things. God, give me a word to write to this old professor who's not even a believer. And I just wrote a, a simple thank you. And, it, it, and they wrote right back to me how, just, how that touches them. Your life is a testimony to somebody. Your life demonstrates Jesus to somebody. Your life demonstrates the gospel to somebody. Right? Thank yous. Man, don't forget. It's so easy to forget. I'm, I'm constantly surprised at how easy people forget. Man, God could be moving right in front of their face, and they could just be missing it, not even seeing what God is doing, what he has done. I was thinking about, about the Israelites when they crossed the Red Sea. We were singing about that today. You know, in Exodus 15, when they crossed the Red Sea, man, what an awesome thing to just see God just split the Red Sea apart, walk across. A million people walk across the Red Sea, get to the other side, and then see Pharaoh and his army come running in there right after you. Just not want to stop until you're completely annihilated. And God just swallowed them up. And, and, and that first day, they sang a song. They thanked God. They sang, I will sing unto the Lord. For he has triumphed gloriously, the horse and the rider thrown into the sea. The Lord, my God, my strength and my song has now become my victory. It's a hymn. It's an old, old song that's a good one to still sing today. Moses starts singing, then, then Miriam, his sister, the, the prophetess. I love that she was a prophetess. And says so she grabbed a timbrel. It's starting to look a little Pentecostal to me. She grabbed a timbrel, timbrel and started dancing and, and singing. And you know, she's the, the OG, the original gangster, renegade tambourine girl. <laughs> sure, Moses probably like, you're, you're kind of off beat here, but I'll just go with it, you know. <laughs> They're thanking God day one. I don't know what happened day two, but by day three, they'd already forgotten. Day three, they, they reached this, this place called Mara because the waters were bitter and the people. They were already bitter themselves by day three. The waters wasn't the only thing bitter. They, it, that place is called Mar because they became bitter. They had forgotten what God had done. They forgot about, man, those ten plagues, how he just, how they were protected every time, what God had done every time. So I'm kind of thinking, what, what happened day two? They weren't thinking about it. They, they, they were probably complaining. Why does Miriam get to sing? Is it just because she's related to 
Moses, you know, why, 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 is, why is Miriam a prophetess? You know, women shouldn't be allowed to preach. Just complain about stuff that doesn't matter. Does Pastor Aaron think women can preach? Well, if a woman gave birth to Jesus, I'm sure a woman can preach about Jesus. I'm very thankful for women. When I, I saw my wife give birth to Ada, man, I don't, I don't want to do that. <laughs> I got the better end of that deal. Every day, thank God. Don't let a single day go by without thanking God for the good things he's done. You know, the enemy is constantly trying to get you to forget what God has done. He's constantly trying to rewrite history, to leave God out of it, leave God out of your history, leave God out of American history. And that that enemy, he he wants to erase God. But God, I thank God he is part of, of my history. He's part of this nation's history. He's part of this church's history. He's part of my family's history. God is the author of history. He's the author of my life. And he's still writing my story. He's still writing your story. And when people, when I get to the end of my life and look back, I want them to, I want myself and I want everyone to be able to see God written on every single page, every single day of my life. Look at what God has done. Only God could have done that. Let's go to, go to Deuteronomy 6. This will be my last uh, passage of Scripture. Deuteronomy 6, starting in verse 4. Deuteronomy is Moses' last sermon to the children of Israel before, they, they, before he passed away. He had to pass away before they crossed the Jordan. So this is what he's really trying to get across to their, their heads, to their hearts. I just love what he has to say here. Deuteronomy 6 verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And these words which I command you today, they shall be in your heart. And God is always looking at your heart. Remember, man, God's word needs to be written on our heart. Verse 7, you shall teach them diligently to your children. And you have to to instill it in people. Pass it on to other people. Teach it diligently to your children. I love that that here at our church, we've developed and are currently developing a, a brand new children's curriculum that's just full of the power of God. Look who God is. He is Jehovah Jireh. He's the Lord, your provider. He is Jehovah Rapha. He's the Lord, your healer. He is Jehovah Nisi. He's the Lord, your, your victory. Jesus is our provider. Jesus is our victory. Jesus is our healer. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever, and he wants to live his life in you. Who are you in Christ Jesus? You are not defeated. You are not a sinner. You are a saint. You are a son. You are a daughter of the Most High God. And the same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead dwells in you. We believe in the power of God. In the grace of God, teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, 
When you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and keep them as frontlets between your eyes. I like that my dad talked about how, how my parents, and they still do it today, but they did it when we were kids. If they were believing for something, they would write that promise, write that scripture on a card and, and put it in the window, put it on the refrigerator, put it where they could see it. I remember when I was believing God for a wife, I had a scripture that God put on my heart. It says, houses and riches are, are the inheritance of fathers, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. And I knew, I knew my, my dad was really pushing me. I don't want to, I need grandkids, Aaron, you need it. And kind of stressing me out. I said, you can give me a lot of things, but, but this wife is going to be from the Lord. And, and look at what God has done. I, I put that scripture up on my mirror, and I, I decided I'm not going to worry about it. I'm not going to stress about it. I'm not going to fret about it. This is from the Lord. I just put it on my, on my mirror in my bathroom. And after I got engaged, Heather saw that. And she, she initialed it. HLP. And she reminds me, uh, you prayed for me, Aaron. You better not forget. I'm God's gift to you. Write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. I love that, verse 9. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. My middle brother, Andrew, um, his wife, Bree, and their kids, they, they, they um, moved to a house um, that, that's close to a prominent synagogue in Denver. And uh, there's a lot, of, a lot of Jewish people that live in that neighborhood because they can, they can walk. You know, Orthodox Jews can't drive on, on the Sabbath. They have to walk to service. So um, they've had to do a lot of remodeling because their home is, is set up um, for an Orthodox Jewish family, there's two refrigerators, two dishwashers, two because you know the, the dairy can't touch the meat, and um, so they they've remodeled things. Um, but they, there's one space they they haven't remodeled. They don't want to touch because it's it's a little playhouse underneath the stairs going down to the basement. Because on that little on that little tiny door, going into this little playhouse, there's a there's a mezuzah, and it's it's a, a mezuzah is a Jewish um, little tube you hang up on the doors and inside of it there's a scroll with a scripture with a promise of God. You know, Brie, Brie really wants to change their, their bathroom as well because it's got this kind of yellowish um, tile in there. And I, I told her, because I've been to Jerusalem and everywhere in Jerusalem there's this yellowish tile everywhere. It's Jewish limestone. And I, and I realized, you know, the, this limestone that you have in your bathroom, it's, they probably had it imported from Jerusalem. And uh, that's not your color scheme or whatever, but it's, I think it's kind of cool to, this reminds me of when I went to Jerusalem, when, I, when I've seen the, the inside of their bathroom there. Verse 10, so shall it be when the Lord your God brings you into the land of which he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to give you large, say large, and beautiful cities, beautiful, which you did not build, houses full of all good things, which you did not fill, hewn out wells, which you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees, which you did not plant when you have eaten interval. This is just such a picture of God's grace. What he, he wants to give you so many things that you didn't work for, you didn't earn, you don't deserve. Vineyards. It's a picture of the blood of Jesus. You don't deserve it. You did not earn it. You didn't plant, like, this is completely God. Those olive trees, that, that's a picture of the anointing, a picture of the power and the presence of God, a picture of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. I'm so thankful for the anointing of the Holy Spirit. 
Verse 12, then beware lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Don't forget what God has done. He is still bringing people out of the house of bondage. He is still bringing people through the fire, through the water, through the floods into a place of abundant fulfillment, a wealthy place, a place where you can shout and sing and say, look what the Lord has done. All of you, if you have Jesus in your hearts today, you can shout and say, look what the Lord has done. He has brought me out of sin. He has brought me into righteousness. He has brought me out of darkness. He has brought me into light. He has brought me out of sickness, and he has brought me into health. He has brought me out of poverty, and he has brought me into wealth. This is the God who I serve. He has brought me out of bondage and brought me into freedom. He has brought me out of, of, of being an outcast, and he has brought me into the inner circle, accepted in the beloved. And look what the Lord has done. Amen? That's my conclusion. Look what the Lord has done. Look what the Lord has done. He healed my body. He touched my mind. He saved me just in time. I'm going to praise his name. Each day he's just the same. Look what the Lord has. Look what the Lord has done. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Karis Christian Center podcast. If you would like to receive prayer, product, or more information about the ministry, go to www.karischristiancenter.com or call us at 719-418-4000.